All right, I'd like to welcome you out to another episode of the Lodestone Training Consulting Podcast. This is Jared Ross, and tonight I'm joined with... Uh, Abby Ross. Thank you, Abby. So for those of you who don't know, Abigail is actually the one who, who runs Lodestone. She does all the important stuff, that the computer work, all the logistical work. She, uh, she emails, you know, she, she takes care of the website. She, uh, she pretty much does it all and makes my job and Chris's job and everyone else's job, makes it a lot easier because she, she's actually doing the bulk of the work, all the, the work that you, you really don't see. So we're, we're lucky to have her here tonight, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, her and her experience and what's brought her to, to here to this point. So Abby, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, so I am Jared's wife. Um, I grew up on Staten Island in New York. My parents are from out west, from Colorado and the Four Corners area, and they kind of moved around a lot. I'm the youngest of their seven, um, not the youngest, I'm the second youngest of their seven children. I do have a younger brother. I didn't forget him. So they bounced around the East Coast, and by the time they had me, they had settled in Staten Island. And uh, so I spent uh, my childhood and teenage years on Staten Island. And, uh, you know, it was, we didn't have firearms in the house. We, you know, I think my parents may have had them when they were younger, but by the time, you know, they had moved around the East Coast, we, we didn't have any when I was growing up. Um, we really lived in a pretty safe area. Growing up, my we did not lock the door to our house during the day while we were gone. I think we locked it at night, but it was we kept it unlocked because after one of my older brothers climbed on the roof to get into the house because he left his key, my mom decided that it was probably <laughs> wiser to just leave the door unlocked and not have to deal with hospital visits um, because oh. keys got lost. Yeah. You lived in a pretty safe neighborhood, didn't you? We did live in and, a very safe neighborhood. And, and why did you live in a safe neighborhood? Who, who lived across the street? <laughs> Some friends who had connections. <laughs> oh, yeah? What kind of connections? To various Italian connections, yes. clubs? Yeah, okay. They were Italian, Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. With Italian connections. Um, anyway, so, yes, we I grew up there very safe. Um you know, being the youngest of seven kids, I think, too, my parents were, uh, had relaxed quite a bit by the time I was, you know, older. Like, Just thinking of our own kids, our, our oldest, our twins, yeah. they experienced two different parents completely yes. different than, than our youngest two are currently experiencing. Yes. So, yeah. so my oldest sister, who is like 11 years older than I am, she went to school, high school in Manhattan, and she went in every day with my dad. She traveled in with my dad on the ferry, on the subway, um, with my dad every day. When I got into a school and I was traveling into Manhattan for high school, my mom said, you know some other kids who are going, right? Just meet up with them and just travel in with them. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, yeah, we, we'll, we'll meet on the train. And so that, you know, that just gives you a little bit of experience. So my growing up, I was, my parents were pretty relaxed. And so I kind of, not that I led my own life, but I was kind of left to, you know, do things on my own, I guess. Okay. So that was kind of my growing up. So you, you said that your parents didn't have firearms in your home. So when were you first, uh, I guess, exposed to firearms? The first time I ever saw a gun in real life was uh, when I was dating Jared. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. All right. Yes. Okay. 
I thought you had seen him uh, prior to that, but anyways, no, keep going. No, never. So I he was so having grown up on Staten Island, I did not get my driver's license because I just didn't. I just took the train and the bus where I needed to go, and uh, then uh, I moved to Pennsylvania and didn't have a driver's license. And Jared took pity on me. We met at church, and he took pity on me that I didn't have a driver's license, and so he offered to teach me how to drive. And so I don't even know if we were, I think we were dating at that point. We kind of like went from driver's license, teaching teaching driving, like melded into dating. I'm just that smooth. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I remember I was driving the car, and we had pulled over, and he... he, uh, I don't even remember the conversation. I just remember, like, the, him showing me the handgun, like, you know, giving it to me to hold. It was like, like, I don't know. It, like, I can't think of the word to describe how I felt. Like, obviously, I can, like, picture it in my mind, so it made an impression on me. But, like, I was 20, almost 21 years old and had never seen a firearm before, so it was like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Like, I don't think I want to hold it. Do I want to hold it? I don't know. So that was my first exposure. Okay. So um, after that, uh, when did the first time then you, you went shooting? That was that was before we... I don't know if it was before or after we got married. Because I remember, I was thinking about this, and I remember it being cold. Yeah. And so we got married in September, so it must have been after we got married. Yeah. Okay. But then again, our courtship and dating wasn't very... Yeah, it, was it was pretty quick. Pretty fast, yeah. Yeah. I, I we, just, did, we didn't have time to go shooting. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember, uh, and I, again, I don't remember before or after, but it was, it was before I went in the military, that, that, that's for sure. Um, just taking you to that, that one range and trying a lot of different stuff, and then I was talking to somebody, might have been my dad or somebody, and then I, I heard my old FNFAL just bang, 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 and I look over, and then you had the FAL, and there was a, a legit bowling pin out on the firing range and you were just spinning that thing. I'm like, wow, I, I, I definitely am in love now. I, I made the right choice. What were some of your experiences then? Um, first couple of times you went shooting, like what, how did you feel? What were some of your thoughts and what were some of your impressions? If you can remember. Honestly, I think the, that first time shooting, I think it was that first time shooting. I remember your dad had, a lever action like Mauser, I don't even know. Like uh-huh. I remember the name of it. Was it three hundred eight? No, no, that's that's a Turkish eight millimeter Mauser. Oh, okay. Anyway, I just remember like being surprised at like the kick. <laughs> I mean, I was like sitting down, so it's not like I fell over or anything. But, uh-huh. but enjoyed shooting that. That was fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. So the next question I have, and it's and taking pretty much a big leap in in, in time, is uh, when did you start? taking training seriously so there's a big difference between uh at least me personally me prior to us being married or soon thereafter and taking on the range and not knowing what the heck i'm doing other than we're we're shooting water balloons or shooting cans or, or paper targets to you know when did you you yourself start taking training seriously um i think like you said i think it was a pretty big jump in time because for a long time um I was carrying and we shot, we would go shoot sometimes, you know, uh, but I think it was more out of a feeling of obligation. Like I felt obligated to carry 
you know, for, for safety and stuff like that. But that was kind of my main emotion, I guess, or main, my main thought process. So after we got married, we had started having kids, you know, less than two years into our marriage. And we had kids kind of back to back to back. We had a lot of kids close together and the pregnancy and nursing babies. And it just takes a lot of time and like mental and physical energy. And so, like I said, during that time, I think a lot of me and firearms, our relationship was one of obligation where I felt like, you know, obligated to, to carry my pistol for safety and stuff like that. Um, I think it's really just been in the past couple of years when our youngest is, you know, she's four. And so we're past that point where I don't have little babies anymore. And so our, our kids are kind of more, more as they become more independent, then I feel more, I have more of a desire to spend my time in, in training because I don't have little tiny babies that take up so much of my time and mental energy. So I feel like there's been a real change, like just in the past like couple of years for me where it's kind of changed from feeling obligated to actually having a desire to, to do that and to better myself. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily what is best or what should have happened, but that's kind of what, you know, my, where my progression was. Gotcha. Because I think that, I mean, it's hard. And so I feel like I kind of... What do you mean it's hard? It, it's hard to do... It, it can be hard to do other things. Because especially where I wanted my focus and my energy to be on my kids. Which, you know, that's what I wanted. And so I think that you, it, it can be done where you can do both at the same time. I, I didn't. I didn't have that desire... Like I said, I I feel like a lot of it was out of obligation. Well, you felt that your primary attention should be to your children, spending time with them, nurturing them, raising them, and and, as as a primary uh, caregiver for your children. So you were carrying, and you went to the range at times because, like you had said, you you felt obligated. I need to protect my kids if Jared's not here. I understand that. But you really didn't, as I'm you're trying to restate you make you correct me if I'm wrong but you really didn't have that that passion or, or, or you were able to I feel like I've I'm able now to put more energy into it okay put more, more time and energy into it all right so now that you've been been training a little bit more devoted a little bit more serious now that you can actually free up some of your your time and emotions and and, and, and stuff to it. And you have been doing it now um, pretty well for a, you know, for a few years. Um, what's the, the worst moment you've ever had at training? Um, you know, I don't know if thinking about that, that question, the most worst moment, I don't know if it was actually in training, but in that lead up to training, like panicking about it, I like to be very prepared for things. I like to have everything set out and prepared before I step into something. And so, um, so at times, like before a class, going into a class, panicking and feeling like I wasn't fully prepared to go into the class. Okay. I think 
a lot of people can relate to that. And that's one of the hardest steps, I think, for a lot of students to, to make that jump is because they feel that panic. And even if everything is perfectly laid out, they have everything that they need, they're still, this is a new and, and it's a scary experience. And a lot of people, you know, have yeah. that, that feeling. Um, what's your best moment during training so far? Um, I can't think of like a specific best moment, but I really, just... I, I, I can think of one that I thought was, was great. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let, let's hear it. Okay. So definitely put a smile on my face. So we were doing that, um, I think it was a three day, two day, three day. I think it was a three day, um, law enforcement class where it was a response to, to an active shooter. So it wasn't necessarily CQB. We weren't training a SWAT team this time. It was just regular, uh, police officers. And um, at the start having role players and stuff, and then at, at the last day of some of the last scenarios, we surprised the the, the law enforcement guys as um, they were responding to an active shooting, and we had like one officer show up, and then another one on another side of the uh, of the shoot house, and then a third one showing up. So basically, they're all showing up to the scene of this active shooting. They're coming from different um, locations into the shoot house to try to, to figure out what was going on. And we had role players who, who were active shooters. We also have innocent people who were inside there. And one of our sons was uh, one of the active shooters. So one one of the things we didn't tell law enforcement is that you were going to be in there as a role player. And your role was, do you remember what your role was? I had, um, I was a concealed carry. Uh, I had my license. I had my gun on me uh-huh. in the situation. And no one was going to hurt your babies. That's right. So you're in. I ro- was looking for my daughter. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I had my gun out and I was looking for my daughter. That's right. So you're in role. And I was expecting the law enforcement guys to see you, identify you, because you had your gun out. Yes. And thought they would immediately engage you, but th- they did a great job. They verbally engaged you, realized who you were, and then they, you know, anyways. But the part that I thought was hilarious is watching my wife <laughs> look at our son, who's the bad gun role player, and you shooting that son with, with your pistol. <laughs> that was that was, that was, was good stuff, watching that happen. That was my favorite moment, uh, watching you in, in training while you were you were shooting your son. That was that was fun times. But um, that was my experience. But this is yours. What, what was your... Uh, your favorite moment um, or your, I guess your best moment, I should say. I think just, um, I don't have a particular best moment. I just feel like getting to the point where I can feel comfortable going into a class and get beyond the point where I'm worrying about, you know, like how I look or how I am performing in front of other people but kind of getting to that point where I can kind of focus on myself and not, um, yeah, and just focus on bettering myself. And then, I mean, I'm a little spoiled because I do get to do the role player thing sometimes. And as much as it is fun, I think that I probably get stuff out of that too. Yeah. Again, in real training, there should be no egos. Too many people come with pride. Too many, too many people come with egos. Shoot, there's too many instructors out there with egos, and that that's that's just garbage. Um, but for those students to get the most out of a class, they need to come to the point like you have, where okay, who cares how silly I might look? You know, people might think how I look. Who cares about that? I'm here. I want to learn. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to fail. I'm going to learn from that failure, and I'm going to do better. The, the next drill, I'm gonna do better. Do better the next iteration and, and stuff. And and there's that. And there's that that real growth. That uh, yeah. And I think too that it's part of my personality that I want to know exactly everything I did wrong. Um, 
So I I really appreciate and and crave the um, the attention of like being corrected for me personally, and I think I think that's good, and I think that. Um, yeah, you kind of have to get past that point where taking taking criticism personally in training and taking it for what it is as an opportunity to improve. So how did you start to teach, or how do you teach? I guess it's a better question. How do you teach your children about firearm safety? And, and that is a loaded question, and it's one I know you've taught before and stuff, yeah. but you have, in this day and age, with, with eight children and with us and, and with me and my background, you, we've certainly had firearms around. Uh, you have more experience than the vast majority of the people who are listening to this podcast. Um, so we, you know, we've started off with with waiting till they're old enough to really understand, right? So you can't start teaching a toddler a firearms firearm safety because they're not old enough to understand. They're not old enough to control themselves. Um. And they, they can't be trusted to, like, not touch things that they've been told not to touch. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of have to wait till your kids are old enough and that you know they're old enough that they can start to internalize that, that it, it's not a toy. And I think that's, that's what we've done very early is it's not a toy. You can touch it with mommy and daddy, with mommy and daddy, if you want to look at it. We look at it together. Um, but you don't touch it on your own. So, and I remember times when we did that, we kind of tested our kids when they were, after we had, you know, talked to them a few times about this is a real gun. Um, you don't touch it. This is what you do. If you see one, you go get mom or dad and tell them right away. And there were, you know, we did that a couple times, a clear, clear weapon and leave it where they could see it and make sure that they did the right thing. So how do you store your firearms now? Uh, we store our firearms. We still have a, a couple little ones. Um, they're not real tiny, but a couple of younger ones. And they know not to touch them, but we still store them um, unchambered and uh, and kind of out of reach for the most part. Yeah. 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 I know another thing that we do, too, is we know our kids. We trust our kids. Um, like you said, we, we've... Tested them at times mm-hmm. um, to make sure you to see what their behavior is going to be. And uh, another thing with our children is that firearms aren't a mystery. Yeah. So since they're not a mystery, then, you know. It's like, a, you know, a hammer. Yeah. You teach the three-year-old not to hit things with the hammer and not to hit people with the hammer. And it's kind of the same thing because it's something that's around that they're familiar with that mm-hmm. they see mommy and daddy use. Um, and, you know, that maybe they've used it supervised or whatever. I'm sure that this happens in in smaller families too. Every family kind of has a culture that that you know they build up within their family. Um, but because we have a large family, and so we have kids that are significantly older than some of our younger kids. Right now, our the age range is what seventeen to four. Seventeen down to four, yeah. yeah. So where our older kids um, have been taught this and they know it and it's natural and normal, it's become cr- part of our culture. So the younger kids pick up on that. They pick up on, you know, how guns are treated in the house. They see how it's, they're treated mm-hmm. in the house. And so there, there's that too, just kind of like building that, that culture of how you treat those tools. And just the other day, um, 
I had one of the ARs and I was putting a, a light mount on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the youngest, she came up, saw what I was doing. She expressed how she thought that looked neat. And then I didn't teach her this. I doubt if you taught her that specifically, but because she's around her, her older siblings, she asked permission if she could touch it. Like, can I, can I touch that gun? And yeah. I'm like, and, and the appropriate thing at that time is she's asking me, she's in front of me. Yes, absolutely. I want you to touch this gun and, and, and see the gun and everything. Cause I know it's, it's safe and, and, you know, allowing that mystery then to, to be removed. Yeah. And I think it's important, even though that has happened, that we also still talk. We I don't know that we specifically said this is how you ask permission. Yeah. But and that's I what know. that's what I meant. We told her no, but yeah. I I yeah, go ahead. But but I know I've had a couple conversations with her about, you know, real guns and mm-hmm. this is a real gun and so y- you can't just lean back like lay back and oh, yeah. we're we're done. The the culture yeah. of our family is going to take care of her safety. Um you still have to be proactive in teaching that to each child and and then when we have yeah it's covid we, we know there's covid out there but still when we have people over other uh, family members like cousins specifically that um we still take the time to, to police the house make yeah. sure everything's put away because even though their cousins have been taught similarly you know we're just we're not gonna yeah take we, that chance. we know we know what exactly what our kids have been taught and we know exactly, you know, how our kids are going to, how they, what they know and how they're going to act around guns. Where, um, even though a lot of their cousins come from gun, families where there are firearms in the house, they, uh, we personally don't know enough about those kids not being their parents to, uh, to feel comfortable having stuff where they yeah. might get at it. So... As a woman and as a mom, um, you know, you'd mentioned earlier you kind of felt obligated to carry a gun. Uh, so how has your EDC uh, changed? You know, what is your everyday carry? How, where did it start? What did you start with? And then and how has it evolved and what do you do now? Um, well, it started off, uh, like I said, so I, you know, at the ripe old age of 21, finally experienced shooting, right? And, uh, and then really the first, you know, starting to, to consistently carry, I already had kids. And so, and even like in the very beginning, the thought of like carrying on my body was like, there's no way I would feel comfortable doing that. Um, and so for a long time I did carry in my, my, my diaper bag. And, uh, how did your diaper bag evolve from when you first started? Diaper bag evolve. So it started off with, um, a firearm in a pocket (laughs) of the diaper bag. Um, uh, you know, enough, I thought through it enough that it was in an upright position. So it wasn't like floating around in the bottom of the diaper bag. So it wasn't that bad. Um, but it yeah, a pocket in my diaper bag. Was there anything else in the pocket? No. Okay, good. It, that, had, that, that's it good. had its own pocket. Okay. <laughs> um, and I carried that way for a long time. I carried that way for a long time. And uh, partly because the first two firearms that I carried both had exterior safeties on them. 
like on the side, mm-hmm. the flip switch. Um, and so, like that's that was the that was, um, and that that was what I was comfortable with, because I wasn't comfortable wearing it on my body, and especially because, the, partly because, the the first gun I was carrying was a beast. I was carrying a Beretta nine millimeter Beretta. Um, not really knowing any better and being uncomfortable with making any kind of decision about it to begin with. And then I carried a, uh, a CZ 75 for a while. So they both had exterior safeties on them. And so I carried them in my diaper bag, which in retrospect, after years and years of carrying in a bag, in a diaper bag or in a purse, um, and then finally making the switch to carrying on my body, mm-hmm. it was like getting rid of the ball and chain. Because mm-hmm. really, like, I mean, you don't want to just leave your purse anywhere and walk away from it because, you know, there's your wallet and stuff in it. But even, like, at people's houses and, and things, like, you could, I couldn't just walk away from it. So it was always, like, this thing that I had and I couldn't leave it because I couldn't walk away from it and leave that exposed to, you know, someone picking it up or finding it or whatever. Here's a question. Uh, In in hindsight, um, I know I had offered suggestions, but I would certainly couldn't, nor would I dictate to you, you're going to do this woman. This is how you're going to carry. In hindsight, do you wish I would have been a little bit more, uh, Forceful is really not the right word, but a little bit more adamant. Hey, why don't you try to carry on the body? Let's find out a solution. Or uh, or would that have just been a losing prospect if I would have been more forceful with that? I think that I think I had to make that decision myself. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I think I had to make that decision myself because I think I had to get to the point where I was comfortable with the thought of doing it before I could actually do it and, and carry comfortably. Okay. So So I know that you encouraged me and I switched firearms a couple times at your suggestion. Um but yeah, I think that I would say that it really needed to be my decision. Mm-hmm. Or else it wouldn't have worked for me. So so you said you originally started with a Beretta 92 yes. and a pocket of, yes. a, of, a diaper of a diaper bag to now. Where are you at now? Right now I am. I have a an M&P shield, 9mm M&P shield that I wear. Um, I wear it kind of uh, at my waist, but not like where I wear my pants. Like it's not, I don't wear it on my belt. Because having had eight children, um, and (laughs) the shape of my body in general, uh... So so you're saying you're a a real woman? Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm a little bottom heavy. We'll put it that way. (laughs) Um, and my belly's, you know, it's been stretched out a few times. So, like, where I wear my belt is not, like, the smallest part of my body. And so I felt like wearing my gun on my belt I was just adding more bulk to like the biggest part of my body mm-hmm. so 
I was just putting, you know, I was putting it where it was going to stick out the farthest, basically. And so I have, um, it's basically like a belly band, like a sport band that's, um, that I use with a Kydex holster. And I wear it higher up on my waist, like kind of like above my waist, like bottom of my ribs. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's where I'm smallest is kind of right there. And so I feel like that's, you know, I had this, you know, I, I talked about in uh, the women's EDC class, finding a pocket on your body, like the, the places where you can conceal some, conceal anything really, but like a, conceal your firearm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I felt that, like that was a place where I could kind of conceal a little bit better. And then just wear loose shirts that is not going to show. And I feel like that, that is kind of where, where finding that spot and is kind of what got me to the point where I felt like I could comfortably wear it on my body. I think that's what was holding me back for a long time is not feeling like I could conceal my firearm and like comfortably feel like nobody could see it and mm-hmm. it wasn't sticking out. That was, I think that was really the, the biggest thing holding me back. So getting to the point where I had an M&P, um, just a, a Smith & Wesson M&P 9, which I really like. The full size. The full size that I I can still wear um, with, like, a sweatshirt mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, and I know you do sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but making that decision to go to the, the shield, which is smaller, um, that was a big decision because then I felt like I can do this every day. I can wear a T-shirt with this. And that, that was, like, the, the, the key for me is finding – how I could do it and feel like not, I wasn't going to be like walking around like paranoid that everybody could see my gun. Okay. And what's the, what, what's the name brand of that? Is it, is it belly band or what, what, what no, is it? No, it's called, um, it's from alien gear. Okay. It's called a sport band or something like that. And you can get like their pancake holsters. It's meant to fit their pancake mm-hmm. holsters. But, but instead you use a Viper holster, don't you? Yeah. Because I already had one that Joe had made me, um, for the shield. So I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like I wanted to buy a whole nother Kydex yeah. holster when I had Joe's perfectly good one that he made for me. So yeah. um, they, they I could, just, they, he makes good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He does. Um, so Joe, he, yeah, he makes good stuff. Yeah. I really like his holsters and his years, uh, a hybrid holster. Yeah. So it's the, the Kydex with the clip and, uh, and the leather backing right on. Okay. And then also with that belly band, then you can, spare mags and there's places for you to put that even like a um and you can get it you can have them add mag pouches and stuff to it when you order it cool and they have um they have like a women's like side to their business Mm -hmm. um and they actually have one that they have like the model wearing it at the same place i wear it kind of up on the waist up a little higher um, and the reason I didn't get that one is because the it's like an elastic band that you wear, and then the kydex is on the outside oh, okay. of the band. So I just felt like I wanted like something smooth, <laughs> hold, holding holding it in, instead of just a band where the kydex kind of stuck out the front. So, but same company, and I'm sure you know for for someone else it might might work just fine. Yeah. Um, and then didn't you? What else that I've seen you do? You made a little wedge on the holster. I actually, the holster. yeah, I actually bought that wedge. So oh, did you? I, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
just a little foam wedge to stick on there. And I think it's meant most like in the picture, they're usually at the bottom. Okay. To like push it so that it's pushing the top and the grip further in. Okay. Um, and I did that just kind of pushing it laterally. So it pushes the end of the grip like further into my body. Okay. So I felt like that really helped kind of so that like the butt end of the gun wasn't poking out from my shirt. So now that you've been around firearms for, oh, you're an old woman now. I know. Almost, almost two decades. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite one? Um, like right now, currently? Yeah. It has to be uh, the AR that you just helped me build. Oh, yeah? Why? Because, like I talked about before, that one was my decision. And I think that's a huge, 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 um, has, makes a huge difference. Uh, I had taken, I've taken a couple uh, carbine classes, and I always kind of like, you're like, here, Abby, you can use this one. Or like, I had one that was like assigned to me. <laughs> That I probably couldn't have even recognized off the rack, right? <laughs> like, I don't know. Is that one mine? Like, like any good husband. This one's yours. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And so after the last one that I took, that was like, I think I really need to, like, build my own. And you had given me a receiver a couple of years ago for Christmas, and mm-hmm. uh, it was just sitting there. And so I think having made that decision and, like, that's mine. Like, I made that decision to, to do that. And, I mean, obviously I had help with decision-making and with actually putting it together. But but you, um, you did the work, though. and That was a stripped lower and a stripped upper that you fully assembled and built yourself. Yeah. yeah. And so that, not that it's, like, you know, all that much different than now, any other, but it's, like, I know it is It is nice, but that's not what, why I like it. I like it because it's mine because I made that decision. I, I feel guilty now putting that little... Uh, <laughs> that little bad liver there. That you should have done that yourself. No, that's okay. I, I was past that point. Like, okay, it's mine, but that's okay. Because I know <laughs> sometimes when I want to just get something done. Uh-huh. So I understand that you're like, you just wanted to get it on there for you, me. You're just humoring your man. That's all you're doing. You go, there, yeah. there, there, there. Yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> you do it for me sometimes too, <laughs> so it's okay. <laughs> that just reminded me. Uh, so you taught that seminar, um, the four women seminar, um, how to pick out your, your pistol, yeah, your first pistol, right? Yeah. yeah. So you did that. And then it was all done. And all the women who participated were all happy. And then Chris walks in. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And then I walk in and I'm like, oh, he's talking. I want to talk too. So I start going blah, 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 blah. And then I look at your face like, oh, <laughs> we're doing the wrong thing. So I quick left because I know you better than Chris does. And Chris talked for a little bit longer. And then when I, I said afterwards when the class was done and all the women were gone, yeah. uh, I said, you know, how'd it go? Fine. And I said, okay, did, you know, did we add anything? And I've never heard you use the term mansplaining before. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, not a term I usually like, use. Chris came in and you came in, you're both mansplaining. You already <laughs> said everything that I'd already said. I'm like, oh, doesn't that validate you? You know, that, that everything's good. I'm like, no, I don't need you to validate me. <laughs> My class was fine. It was just fine. That's until right, you men came fine. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. Love you, babe. Love you too. So maybe you've already uh, answered this, but what's the hardest thing that you've had to to overcome making firearms now a, a part of your life? I think that, especially in kind of talking about carrying, um, and it might seem kind of silly, but I think there's probably a lot of people who have felt 
this same way is um, like not wanting people to know I had it because I didn't want other people to like freak out. You know, I didn't want to upset anyone. Mm -hmm. And so, so that was, that was hard. That was hard to get over to, um, to just feel comfortable on a daily basis that, you know, I have it and it's okay and I can have it. That's fine. And it doesn't matter if like people are upset that that I have it. So you've talked and you've shared a little bit about who you are, some of your background, your evolution from uh, never touching a firearm or seeing one before to now you're, you're carrying all the time. Um, Talked a little bit about your experience in training and how now you're more so you've started the four women series for lodestone um what is it and what are your goals and and why are you teaching um so we had talked before and you had wanted me to to teach some classes previously and i really was not comfortable with that idea (laughs) and uh nothing wrong with that it's probably an understatement um so uh probably a couple of years ago i had the idea and kind of uh the beginnings of a desire to teach a class that would be kind of a real real basic class like more basic than our our first level pistol class um and the idea is to get past like some of the stuff that I was talking about before that panic of feeling unprepared and that um, feeling like you know everybody's watching me and I don't know what I'm doing and and all those negative feelings and putting together a class that was kind of like a baby step to be able to take a, a smaller step to step up to the first level so that this class that we're doing in December, which, if I get the title right, is um, Four Women, Basic Pistol Safety and Introduction to Shooting. I think I got that right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what it is is kind of going through the, you know, how a pistol works, what are all the parts, how do you load the magazine, how do you pull the slide back, what is the slide, you know, all those things that someone who's a new shooter, and I think specifically women get down on themselves and are harder on themselves sometimes with this stuff, um, those things that you want to know and want to be, like, to help prepare them for that first level. So they can go into that first level class and not feel like they're lost or it's over their head. So it's just kind of like that half step up to prepare for that first level because there's there's and you know we're doing these four women classes and I think that they're kind of like they're just to get past that point because once you're to that point then heck yeah you should be out there with the guys shoulder to shoulder Mm -hmm. shooting with the guys Mm -hmm. definitely so these classes are for just getting past that emotional hump, which I feel like a lot of women that holds them back. Yeah. And so that's kind of what the, these classes are, are set up for is to get past that, to get a little bit 
more comfortable and feeling more prepared to be able to go into that first level class. So, so far you've done, um, I think the first one was in September where you did a four women, um, and it was EDC. EDC. Yeah. So that was just a presentation you talking about everyday carry and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. We talked about, um, different carry methods, uh, all different, you know, we went through all different kinds of holsters and things like that in that class. Okay. And then the one that you just did in October, that was another seminar or presentation, and that was what? Uh, choosing the right pistol. Yeah, choosing the right pistol. So you were able to take all your, I can't believe my man made me get this bread of 92 back, you know, this huge <laughs> thing to, to, to where you're at today. That, um, And you had a lot of pistols there for that class, all I know. kinds. Uh, Chris came in at the end. We had a whole pot, a table full of pistols, uh, and Chris came in at the end and was saying, oh, this pistol and this pistol. I'm like, yeah, Chris, look at all those pistols you have on that table. And then I was like, wait a second, wait a second. I have as many pistols on the table as he does. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Darn right. So then you're doing this one in December, which is a live fire class. But one of the nice things about this class, too, is we're providing the firearms. Yes. We're providing the ammunition. Yes. So the women are just showing up. And also it's it's very small, right? It you're, is. It's a We've limited, limited to five. Okay. Yeah. Just so, yeah, so you can run it and it's going to be safe. Cool. Yes. And then... And, and so... It can be safe, but also so that the women that come feel like they're getting the attention that yeah. they need, and it's not, you know, not spreading the instructors too thin. Yeah. We want to make sure they get that, that one-on-one time, that yes. quality. Um, and then the one in January, that's going to okay. yes. <laughs> and then uh, then after that, you're going to start repeating them again? Yeah, we'll probably be yeah. starting repeating I them I know again. Uh, our, our friends uh, down in Virginia at F3, they've asked you to come down and and do, I think, the uh, the EDC one. Okay. They'd like you to do that. And then we did have a request from a woman that had taken some other class for a maintenance a maintenance class in the four women. So, like mm-hmm. I said, so you said, why do I teach? Um, and I still, you know, I started teaching, and I probably feel the same amount of panic before each class as teaching as I have in at times before like participating in one of the firearms classes <laughs> Jared's shaking his head because he's seen me before both uh-huh. <laughs> yes I have hey, the last one I knew you'd be just fine and you were pinging your your yeah all that self-induced stress and then did you see the uh I guess you didn't I didn't share it with you yet we, we got a uh, a message last night of someone uh just praising you said you did a great job oh, who, no, who attended that? that yeah so anyway, so that that why do I teach is that this series of classes, like I said, is really just to help women get past some of the stuff that took me a really, really long time to get past and just to hopefully help some women. So you've been talking about the, these four women classes and these seminars, and, and your intent is to help those women just, you know, get over some of those people who might feel intimidated or they just need that extra nudge yeah. or extra hug to, to get them up there and with the, the regular classes. Um, and you've mentioned a couple of times during this podcast about how important it is to, to be in there with the men taking those classes and getting training. And uh, you made a statement that then we uh, put to a T-shirt that there's a lot of women who are proudly wearing right now do you mind uh, talking about your shirt and uh, what, what you did and why you did and, um, and your statement? Yeah, so the shirt is 
there's the 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 old poster from the Rhodesian army be a man among men and uh we were sitting talking about you know stuff to make and stuff for the business and t-shirts and and stuff and uh you said about making more of those and I said what about making a be a woman among men shirt and that's kind of where that idea came from so we have uh we've taken that poster and made the man in the poster into a woman it says be a woman among men and I didn't want it to like people to think like it was like oh women are better or women are stronger or men are crap you know I don't buy into that all that stuff um or you know I, I didn't want it to feel negative and so I wanted to kind of clarify clarify that and so in thinking about it um what I came up with was as women wives sisters and mothers uh, we must lay aside fear and prepare ourselves to stand shoulder to shoulder with our men in defending our lives, our loved ones, and our liberty. And so I really wanted to make sure that people understood what I was getting at with that was, is to is to stand up and be a full partner and be willing to, you know, do whatever needs done um, for our lives and our loved ones and our liberty. And, and really just, you know, there's in this community there are men and there are women but it's very much more men and so just kind of like don't don't let that hold you back stand up and 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 stand alongside your men in your life and be willing to to uh get in the fight if need be yeah it's um i'm really blessed to have uh to have you as my wife because i know that's the you've been there and you've embodied that that statement um yeah you know and, I, and i've shared it and i'm not gonna rehash it right now but uh you know when when the time came when the time came so far in our married life when there was a real world threat coming at us i wasn't there and you stood up and you did exactly that and defended defended our children and one of the things that makes me really happy is we of our eight children the the first three were boys and then we had a girl and a boy and then we have three girls at the end so um i love seeing my daughter who is 14 just out there with her brothers and she's not um she doesn't feel awkward to be out there shooting with her brothers and so, you know, knowing that she's not going to have to get over that hump that I had to deal with, that she's growing up and she, you know, is empowered already as a 14-year-old. As a you know, you took that journey that we've been talking about, that you've been sharing, um, never seeing firearms, turning 21, seeing them for the first time, shooting them for the first time, and the growth that you had as a woman, as a wife, as a mother, to where you're at now – and now the lessons that you've learned now and, and the experiences that you had getting you there, well, like you said, our, our, our daughters don't have to go through that. So yeah. when she's married, when they're married, and when they have little kids, they're already going to have all that training under their belt so that they're going to be able to more comfortably carry a pistol and, and defend yeah. themselves if necessary. Shoot. She's not going to have to balance like yeah. I'm dealing with babies and I'm dealing with all this new stuff with that and then trying to add you know, she's, she'll already have that. It'll already be a part of her life, and she'll be comfortable with it. 
So it, it'll be natural for her to continue doing that, even if she's dealing with diapers yes. and, and, you know, spit up and garbage. Do you remember the picture? I think it was uh, John is when it took it. Um, I, I made it into a meme, and I know it, it when it's... All right, John, you can edit that dumb out of there. It was the height of all that Me Too mm-hmm. stuff. So uh, I put a picture, John took the picture, it was her shooting an MP5, and I was standing over helping her and, and showing mm-hmm. her how to shoot it. And then I put up the caption, so so she never has to say me too. Yeah. That's, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about being married to you and then raising our children the way we are. So they're just so much more empowered than, shoot, than either of us were at, at their ages. Yeah. Well, we've, we've spent a few minutes talking, and you've shared a lot of stories and your feelings and experiences. Do you have any closing remarks or anything you'd like to say uh, to, to close out this podcast? Um, I guess just like I said, I uh, it's taken me a long time. It's taken me a long time to really get to... Uh, I really have that desire and that enjoyment of training and learning. Um, and as much as, you know, the day before I teach... I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. (laughs) As much as I, you know, get nervous. And I'm sure that, you know, that's going to start to go away the more I do it. No? No. No? No. I I just hide it better than you do. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So, but I I still am excited to, um, to share that and to possibly help some other women. So that, you know, like our daughters, you know, or, you know, other women that they, you know, to help them pass that. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for spending this time and getting out of your comfort zone and talking and, and sharing <laughs> your, your feelings and, and sharing your experience with us. Greatly appreciated. Well, thank you for taking a little bit of time and listening to us here at another episode of the Lodestone Training Consulting Podcast. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. Me and her is as good as any of you. Oh,